You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Y'all grab a seat. It's good to see you this morning. Are y'all happy to be here? Awesome. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the book of Psalms. I'm really excited today to open up a series walking through Psalms that's going to carry us uh, through most of the fall all the way up to, uh, to Advent. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop of what Psalms is if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity. Uh, really excited about this. But first off, my name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead, the teaching pastor here. We spent the last many months um, preaching through the, uh, the first uh, half of the book of Romans. And so this is going to be a shift in, in really the type of book that we're looking at. Uh, the Bible is a, a big book, and it's got a lot of different types of literature in it. Uh, there is historical literature, a lot of uh, Genesis and Exodus and uh, even the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, their history. They tell stories about what happened in history. Uh, some of uh, the Bible is prophetic or is uh, apocalyptic in nature. It tells us of things that are going to happen in the future. A lot of the Old Testament was prophetic, and a lot of those prophecies have already come true for us, so for us, they're in the past, but there is a lot of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, uh, that were prophesied about things that are to come, and for us, they're still going to come. So there's prophetic books. Um, There's uh, epistles in the New Testament. These are letters written by most of them, the Apostle Paul, some John or Peter, that are letters written to people or written to churches, Um, but there's a whole other group of literature in the Bible that's called the wisdom literature, and Psalms is a part of that. Uh, It is a collection of songs. Uh, It is a collection of poetry. Uh, It's a collection of wisdom about how to live our lives, Um, because I'm sure that you know this, but God is concerned with the way that we live our lives and, quite honestly, wants us to, to live with wisdom. So it's very different to have knowledge uh, and to have wisdom. Amen? How many of you know some really smart fools? Point them out now. Just kidding. Uh, it, like, having knowledge is different than being able to apply that knowledge in real life. So God has given us an entire section of the Bible that has to do with uh, wisdom and how we go about in a very practical way living out our lives. That's the book of Psalms. It's the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters uh, written mainly by uh, King David, although his son Solomon wrote some, uh, a man named Asaph wrote some, uh, Moses wrote at least one, uh, and a handful of other people have uh, their, their wisdom collected in the book of Psalms. Uh, It has been a powerful, powerful tool for Christians for centuries. In fact, how many of you, when you were little, you got one of those little bitty Bibles? If you had a little bitty Bible, you might remember this, that most of those were the New Testament and what? And Psalms. Because I think people were thinking, okay, if people are only going to read a handful of things, what do they need? They need Jesus, New Testament, and they need Psalms. Psalms have been incredibly powerful over the history of the church. Uh, They're filled with timeless wisdom. Uh, The psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 90, is the oldest of all the psalms, probably written uh, 1,400 B.C., which means this was written 3,400 years ago, and it is unbelievably timely for us because if if God writes something, uh, then He writes it in a way that is timeless, that never goes out of date. 
And so you'll be happy to know that the book of Psalms, as the entire Bible, has aged very well. Um, so you can take it, and it's going to be radically, uh, radically important and relevant to your life today. Uh, the book of Psalms covers the entire range of human emotions, which is vast. Some of y'all, if you have kids, you've been through all of them this morning. Like it's just to be a human, there's a lot of different emotions. And the book of Psalms, like a few years ago, this kind of punchline came out that whatever you have going on in your life, there's an app for that. Uh, here's what I say, like whatever is going on in your life, there's a psalm for that. And there's an app for psalms, so it's a double whammy. Like whatever emotion that you're going through, joy, oh, there is a psalm for that that helps to give you words uh, for your emotion. Maybe you walk through depression. Uh, listen, David struggled with depression and a lot of his psalms are very honest with that uh, feeling. There's celebration, there's grief, uh, there's fear, there's joy, there's triumph, there's loss. Uh, Psalms covers the entire emotional spectrum of being human. Also, Psalms, many times they help us learn how to pray, and uh, they help us learn how to praise. Uh, Sometimes they give language to feelings that we have when we don't necessarily have the words to say, so they'll teach us to praise God, and there's some unbelievable psalms talking about God's glory and His majesty and how good He is and that His love endures forever, and it gives us language to be able to praise God. And over the centuries, many of these have been turned into songs that we sing psalms to God and learn to praise Him. Uh, oftentimes, they teach us how to pray. Uh, if you don't know how to pray what, regarding whatever emotion that you're uh, facing, you can open a psalm, and it will teach you in a very right way how to honestly uh, relate with God. And I believe there's a very supernatural and powerful way that the psalms minister to our souls in a way that just some other things just don't seem to be able to get down deep enough. Uh, I've told this story many times, but when my mother died a few years ago, we were on our one-year anniversary trip, and she drowned. We were in Colorado, and I didn't know what to think, uh, didn't know what to feel, didn't know how to pray. And I remember that night sitting in a small motel in Buena Vista, Colorado, Hannah and I just opened up the Psalms. And it was a very different experience for me because a lot of times if you, if you open up the Bible, at least in my language, if you open up the Bible the way I've experienced it, sometimes you feel like Jesus is sitting next to you and He's the teacher, right? He's showing you and teaching you what to, what to think, how to believe, what to feel. Um, but in those moments, that's not what we experienced. Uh, we experienced Jesus sitting beside us like a friend that was hugging and that was ministering to. And there's just a powerful way in which um, the Psalms become the embodiment of Christ and he, he sends the Holy Spirit to use that to help us feel His presence and to experience Him in a very unique way. So I think there is a very powerful and unique way that God has designed to use the Psalms for our souls. And then ultimately, uh, it's important to know that the Psalms are ultimately about Jesus. It's one of the reasons that we love them. The whole Bible, Jesus says in John chapter 5, is a testimony about Jesus. But even Psalms uh, is a testimony about Jesus. There are some parts of Psalms that are prophetic, And a thousand years before Jesus is born and crucified, it prophesies about Jesus. You don't know the story, but a few hundred years before the Persians even invented crucifixion, the Psalms talk about the Messiah whose hands have been pierced. 
And nobody knew what that was, really, about this prophecy until Jesus would come and fulfill that. Um, When David writes... Uh, Psalm 23, which is uh, perhaps the most famous of the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll be with me. And, and, and that's, that was a generic prayer from him to God. But we find out in the New Testament when Jesus shows up and he's like, Dad, that was, that was me. I am the good shepherd. When David is praying through the Psalms, that is a, a pointed prayer to and about Jesus. And so the prophecies in Psalm are about Jesus. Uh, and it seems to be that the Psalms were Jesus's favorite book. Uh, I can't necessarily say that declarative, but I can tell you that uh, that is the book that he chose to quote more than any other book. Jesus loved the Psalms. I think he needed the Psalms. He believed the Psalms. He preached the Psalms. So ultimately, the Psalms are going to point us to, and they are about Jesus. So Psalm chapter 90 This is the oldest of the 150 Psalms written by Moses, 1400 B.C., and ironically, I think even though it's the oldest, uh, for us, it is perhaps one of the most timely. I know for me in my life and what I'm walking through right now, it's incredibly timely. Uh, Talking to some people, walking out of the first service, it was incredibly timely for them, for the place they're at in our our country, for maybe the place that you're at in your age and your walk with Jesus and your uh, financial status. It's unbelievably timely timely. Uh, And and he's talking about time. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump out there and tell you this is what we're going to look at in in Psalm 90. Moses is going to tell us, he's going to say, teach us God to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's going to talk about if we're going to live wise lives and use the very limited time that we have in wisdom then the, the, the correlation to wisdom and, and connection with our life has to do with the way that we view our life and the way that we view our time. And Moses had a unique uh, story because he had a lot of moments in his life where he got to just spend some, some time reflecting on just that, reflecting on time. Uh, some of y'all know his story, but he grew up, he was a, a Jew, an Israelite by birth, uh, and was born in Egypt when the Jews were in slavery, and he was uh, found and adopted by the, uh, the Egyptians' ruler's family, Pharaoh's family, so he was raised in Pharaoh's family, and he yet by, by, by birth was, an, was, uh, was Jewish. And y'all remember the story when he, he, was, he was there one day and there was an Egyptian uh, leader that murdered and was, well, he was mistreating one of the Jewish people and he was so caught up in this emotion defending his fellow Jew that he murders this Egyptian and then has to run for his life and he's in the desert for 40 years. And he's not binge-watching Netflix to pass the time, no social media for him to just endlessly scroll and pass the days. I think he spent a lot of his time in the desert thinking about time until he would hear from God uh, in a burning bush to go back and to set his people free, and he would go back into town, uh, lead the, the exodus of, uh, of God's people out into freedom, and then where would they go after that? After the exodus, where did they go? Back to the desert for 40 more years. He had two 40-year stints in the desert. And those of you who've been around Midland for a long time, you're like, I know how he feels. Big chunks of time where I think God spoke to him about how valuable life is. And so I think Psalm 90 is, is probably 
towards the end of Moses' life, he's reflecting back on how wisely he used his life, and there's probably some of this that he is, has learned from, things he did not do well that he wants us to do better, and perhaps some things that he did do well that he wants us to emulate. And so that's the story of Moses. He's writing Psalm 90, and where we're going today is that he's going to invite us to, to invite the Lord to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And he starts out by setting the stage. He's trying to set a perspective. And so these first six verses that we're going to read, he's trying to set the perspective that God is very big and very eternal. And we as humans and our, our story in the days that we have, they're very small and they're very fragile. And that's where he's going first. So if you're in Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, a hearty yes, ready. Lord, he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So he doesn't just say, God, you've been so good to me and you've overseen my life. He, he, he backs it up and he recognizes that God has been present, not just for his life, but throughout all generations. God is big. He's timeless. Lord, you've been our dwelling place for all generations. And I just, I have this image in my mind that Moses is writing this while he's sitting on top of a mountain and he's overlooking the mountains and the, and the rivers and all that God's created. And I don't know if you've had those moments, but if you ever sit next to something incredibly grand and big like mountains or, or the Grand Canyon or you look at images from a telescope about how big the world is, uh, normally two things happen. It causes you to realize that God is incredibly big and eternal and we're a lot smaller and fragile than we ever thought. So that's kind of how I imagine this taking place. He's sitting on a mountain. He's overseeing something unbelievable. And his view of God gets really big. And his view of himself gets really accurate. Verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And he talks a little bit about us, about man. You return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He's saying God is from the beginning to the end and beyond that, from everlasting to everlasting. Before the mountains were made, he was around. Uh, he is a big God. We're small. He says a thousand years to God is like a watch in the night, which is just a couple hours. Uh, it's, he's putting our lives in a small perspective, trying to paint a big perspective of God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Skip down a few verses to verse 10. He talks about us and just the smallness and the fragility of life. He says the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. He's saying the average person lives 70 years, or maybe if you're strong and healthy and you eat good and you work out, you'll make it to 80, which can we agree that just not much has changed uh, in 3,500 years? Uh, I looked up this morning, the average lifespan of a male American is 73 and a female is 80. Uh, they're still doing much better than us. And so it's like th th you have 70 years, maybe 80, and he says, and their span is but toil and trouble. And then they're soon gone, and we fly away. Now, he is, uh, he, he's, Moses is being very realistic, right? He's not being pessimistic. How many of you in the room are, are optimists? 
Like you optimists, you read this, you're like, he's being pessimistic. But you realists in the room, you realize he's not being pessimistic. He's being realistic. He's like, listen, you got only a few decades, 70 years, 80 tops, uh, and there's a lot of problems, a lot of toil. It's going to be difficult, and it's going to pass really quickly. They're soon gone, and they, then, then we fly away, which leads us to the song, I'll Fly Away, right? I think that's where that came from. <laughs> Life passes incredibly quickly, and it's filled with difficulty and toil. And what's interesting is that the, the older you get in life, the faster life goes by, right? The older you get, the faster things go by. So I think it's funny that everybody really says the same thing and feels the same thing at every stage. My, our six-year-old the other day was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's passed so fast. I'm six years old and I'm in first grade. And then Judah was like, oh man, you have no idea. I'm 11 And, oh my gosh, like from 0 to 11, it has passed by much quickly, more quickly than I thought. And Hannah and I are thinking, you have no idea. Like, I got gray hair, my back hurts, we've got kids that are all in school. It has gone by so quickly, you have no idea. Somebody behind us says, oh my gosh, our kids are grown, and we're having grandkids, and you have no idea. And then somebody that's older, it's always, like every season of life, it's like the pace picks up, because this is what happens. This is why that's true. Because when you're younger, we measure our life by how old we are, which is kind of looking to the past. Like, I'm 39 years old. Uh, then the older we get, something happens where we kind of learn that our days are numbered. We, we learn to number our days, and we realize we don't count things by what's in the past. We're like, I only have a few years left. And something quick, something dramatic shifts where then we're focused on, I just don't have much left, and I got a lot I need to do, that time begins to pick up and move faster and faster. And so Moses says, listen, you got 70 years, 80 tops, uh, it's toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and then we fly away. And so oftentimes there's a moment that a lot of us will, will kind of ask this question in a really honest way and begin to number our days. And a lot of times it kind of comes with a crisis. Sometimes it's kind of midway through life. So what do we call it? Midlife crisis. Uh, full disclosure, the reason I'm preaching Psalm 90 is because I turn 40 next week, and I've been thinking about it, and I've been pondering about it, and according to Moses at best, like, this is halfway. And it's interesting because a lot of us spend our first few decades thinking it's just the beginning, and all of a sudden we realize it's, it's half over. And so you ask the question of, like, I, I know my days are numbered. Have I been wise with my life in the past? And what is the best use of my life? How do I most wisely use the days that I have left? And so oftentimes when when we ask this question and we realize this, um, then there's kind of a crisis when we think, you know what, I I don't think I was living my first few decades as if my days were numbered. And so we recalibrate, and sometimes a a switch flips, and then two things happen. Either one, we kind of miss the point, and then we just go buy a red sports car, right? That's how we deal with it. Or we're like, you know what? I've got who knows how many days left, but I want to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. 
a few stories of where this has happened here at Redeemer these last few months, and I didn't cause this, I didn't plan this, but these are all stories of Jasons. Uh, no lie, these are two stories of other people at Redeemer that are named Jason that are not me. Uh, one guy about a year ago uh, was just almost uh, to the point of death uh, with COVID, was in the hospital. Uh, things were not looking very good for him, and God intervened. God spared his life, uh, and that caused him to think my days are numbered, and so I need to live my life with wisdom. And he changed a lot of things in his life. They've been at Redeemer. They've been uh, fully invested in, in being here and serving and giving and loving. We got to baptize some of his family because he realized when he realized his days were numbered that there's a wiser use of his life than what he had been living. Now, we get to baptize somebody in, uh, in a couple weeks. His name's Jason, and I got to have a meal with him just a couple weeks ago, and he's in his early 40s, and he came to the point to realize, oh, my, my days are numbered. Like, I, I realize I'm getting closer, and the end's coming quicker than I thought, and he began to ask questions about his wife and his kids and his legacy and thought, I, I, I think there's a wiser way for me to use and invest my life gave his life to Jesus, was saved, told his wife, told his kids things are going to be different. His trajectory, his family tree will be changed forever because he considered the number of his days. So Moses, after he builds this big thing that we need to understand that God is big, his story is huge, he's from everlasting to everlasting, we only have a few years, they're going to go by really fast, you're going to blink, and they're going to be over. So what in, 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 in that space... Understanding we are small, God is big. What is the wise response to that? This is his big climax, his big finale. It's verse 12. In light of our story being small, God's being big, he says this. So, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Literally, you could say, it mean the same thing. Teach us as if our days are numbered so that we'll live a life of wisdom. Teach us as if our days are numbered. And what's implied here is the opposite. If we don't purposefully learn to live as though our days are numbered, we're going to live our lives in some foolish ways. Uh, we all know some people that have invested their life incredibly wisely. Uh, you look at them, you look at their, their, their life, their priorities, their contributions, and you think they have just been so wise with the way they've invested their life. And we know a lot of people that we think, man, they probably didn't plan this, uh, but they've accidentally got to the end and wasted their life. The difference is learning to number our days because the end is coming for each one of us, maybe 30 years, maybe 70, maybe 80 years. And so Moses says, teach us to number our days so that that pulls us out and we escape from living foolish lives thinking that we'll have forever. I was pondering this this week, and one of the things that I was really, the, the Lord brought to mind is some of the most influential people in my life, and really in history, uh, I'll, I'll run through a handful of these with you, but a man named Jim Elliott, anybody ever heard of Jim Elliott? 
Uh, he was a missionary uh, that moved uh, to South America. They made a movie about his life. It's called The End of the Spear, and uh, he was martyred by the, the, the tribe that he was going to reach and share Jesus with, and he gave up his life at age 28. Uh, and his life that was really talked about much by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, she's written a lot about it. We have his journals. His life has impacted more missionaries in the last 50 years than perhaps any other. I mean, there's people groups and missionaries and churches and Bibles that have been translated because of this man's life. And it has nothing to do with the amount of time he had. It has to do with how wisely he used it. Uh, David Brainerd, uh, I'm guessing many of y'all maybe have not heard of David Brainerd. He was a missionary uh, in the 1700s to, uh, in, in New England to some uh, Native American tribes and uh, eventually would, be, um, would, would die a pretty premature death by our standards at age 29. Uh, and his, art, his journals and his story are the ones that motivated Jim Elliott to go. And he only had 29 years, but he lived them incredibly well. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I talk about him often. Uh, he died at age 39, uh, which is young. He didn't make it to the 70, didn't make it to the 80. And his story has had ripple effects across the globe, not because of the amount of time he had, but the way he used it. And then I've got this other guy named Jesus, right? Y'all remember him? 33 years old. He didn't make it to 80. His life changed the world, not because of the amount of time, but because of the wisdom by which he lived his life. So what happens, let's say we read this, we believe Moses, we believe that God inspired this, and this is a pathway for us to not accidentally get to the end and think, I should have done something different. We read this and internalize and we ask God to teach us to number our days so that we'll gain a heart of wisdom. What would happen? And I think if we honestly do that, and this is not just something that we have to, that we do once, uh, I think I think as he says, teach us to number our days, that means that that has to be something that is taught to us every week, every few months, every few years, because uh, we recalibrate and we think, you know, I don't know how many days I've left, so I want to live today as if it was my last. Uh, That's just really hard to do unless we continually are taught by God to do that. So what happens uh, when we learn that our days are numbered? Number one, we realize, this is what he's talking about in verses one through six, we realize that our story is small, Jesus' story is big, so we invest our small part in his story, not ours, all right? If you read through the first six verses, he's like, God is big. Before the mountains were there, he was there. He's been faithful throughout all generations. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus, the the story of the Bible, it's a big story, and we're just a blip on the radar. James 4 says that we're a, a, a vapor. If we realize that and we consider what that means, then our only option is do we invest the little time that we have in our story and trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to make fame for ourselves, trying to make glory for ourselves, or do we use what little time that we have to invest in a bigger story? Because this is oftentimes what happens. The inverse of what Moses talks about happens. Moses paints big God, little tiny me. And if we flip those, a lot of people like think big me. I've got a big story. I've got a lot of, a lot of fame. I've got a lot of money to make. I need, I need to build my kingdom, and God's kind of small, and I want to fit him into my story. Um, then what that leads is to a foolish life because he says, like, we just, you just don't have enough time 
even 70, 80 years, you don't have enough time to do with your life something that's going to mark history. Because those who have tried that, like there are some people who have done that. Their world is about them, uh, and they're trying to amass a kingdom, and they have become famous, but history looks upon them, and it's like they've become so famous, they are infamous, right? This is the, the three amigos. Do you remember El Guapo? He, be, he was so famous, he was infamous. Nobody? We'll keep moving. Like in history, people that like have a big view of themselves and a little view of God, they may become famous, but history looks at them and like, what a waste. They were all about them. They were so full up on themselves and their kingdom and their money, they might be remembered, but it's not in a good way. The people that are remembered in a good way are the ones who attach their story to a much bigger story. They believed in a big God and a little me, so my story best makes sense when attached to a bigger story. And that's a very subtle yet incredibly profound difference. If your life is going to count for the maximum effect, it can't be lived for your glory, for your fame, for your story. It has to be leveraged for the greatest story ever told, the biggest story ever told, the story of Jesus. And that's why I think Jim Elliott's a hero. He only had a little bit of time, but he invested it so that people can be... embraced in this big story. And if your little life, small life, is used to connect someone to that story, that is an eternal difference. And so those are the wisest people who take their little bit and they invest it in this this big story. We realize our story is small, Jesus is big, so we invest our story, our small part, in his story, the story of Jesus, not in ours. I have a friend that's a pastor, and he said it this way. Like, Moses is trying to convince us of God's glory. My friend says this, if we could see God's glory more clearly, then we would live more purposefully. If we can see God is big, we are small, then we take the small gift of life that we've been given and we use it more purposefully for Jesus. Number two, what happens when we learned to number our days? We realize that time is our most valuable resource, our most valuable commodity. So imagine with me, you go to the doctor, it's a normal checkup, or maybe you're feeling bad, and the doctor says, I want you to sit down, I've got some tough news. Um, There's something going on in your body, and your days are numbered. You only have six months left. And maybe you know somebody that has received that, I certainly do. And, And there's a few things that happen when they realize their days are numbered that are almost immediate, and it's almost the same across the board. A few things happen. Number one, people realize the most valuable thing they have is time. Because they don't start thinking about how to spend their money. I don't start thinking about all the possessions that they have. Like, oh my gosh, if I only have a certain amount of time, the most valuable thing in my possession is that time. And that's going to lead us to, to, to living lives uh, of more wisdom. And it's interesting that the younger we are, and this tends to be true, although not always, uh, the younger we are, we, we spend the most valuable commodity that we have, time, to try to get money, which is less valuable than time. Until this switch flips and you begin to number your days, and you're like, oh my gosh, time is actually more valuable. So then you get older, you're willing to spend every amount of money that you have to get what? More time. Because if we learn to number our days and that our days are numbered, we begin to realize that time is the most valuable thing that we have. Um, There was a a pastor and author named John Foster 
who wrote a book called On Improvement of Time, late 1700s, early 1800s. And, and he says that we all know that. Like, we all know that our time is the most valuable thing that we have, but we rarely live like that. And he uses this metaphor of a man on a ship with a tr- small treasure chest. And he says, if we had a small treasure chest and all of our time was converted to money and it was put in that chest and we were to be walking around the deck of the ship and trip and fall, uh, like how brokenhearted would you be to see your life dumped into the ocean and sink down to the bottom? He said, well, oh my gosh, we would be upset. And so he says, well, what if you have a chest and all of your life is converted to gold coins and it's in there and you just had to walk over to the edge once an hour and just kind of take a coin and toss it over. You would be very much more cognizant of how quickly time is moving and how valuable it is. He says, but that's not how we think about it. It moves so slowly, but it's silently uh, slipping away, which leads me to number three. If we invite God to teach us to number our days so that we'll gain a heart of wisdom, We'll use our story in light of his story. We'll realize time is the most valuable thing that we have. And number three, we'll very quickly reprioritize how we spend that time. You go to the doctor. doctor says, i got bad news. Days are numbered. You only have a few months to live. Immediately we realize the time is the most important. And immediately what people do is they will reprioritize things. They don't say... I should go do the laundry, right? The, the laundry is not a priority right now. We can buy new underwear. They, prior, they reprioritize, like, oh my gosh, okay. Well, some things that were important yesterday, they're not important anymore, and, and, and I'm reprioritizing because I only have, I can open my wallet, and all I have in my wallet is six months, and that's the most valuable thing I have. I have to be careful where I spend that because it's, it's, it's priceless, If we number our days, our time becomes much more valuable, and therefore, because we treat it with more value, we're careful in prioritizing and where we put it. If we don't live that way, we don't prioritize consciously our time, and it leads to a foolish life. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom." Inevitably, when you ask this question or maybe some abrupt way that your days are numbered or if you ask this question honestly, uh, a few things tend to happen. Uh, number one, if we, let's say you're having a midlife crisis, you're about to hit 40, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, 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 he's, learned, he's teaching me to, to number my days so that I may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, we look back and we look forward. We look back and we see if there's any regrets. Uh, do I regret how I've spent my time? Or if you hear from the doctor, you only have a few weeks left. Uh, normally, regret pops up. Oh, I wish I would have... And then that reveals priorities that are out of whack. And nobody says, listen, this is, this is timely, and this is important in Midland, Texas. Nobody gets to the end and says, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have bought more toys. And I don't think those are bad things, but it's, it's dangerous when those things become uh, much higher on the priority list. And so you get... To, to this, this season where you think, you know, I only have a few, few years and they're going by incredibly fast, then we think about what are the regrets that I have made in the past and how do I need to re-correct and course-correct and reprioritize moving forward. 
there's a movie, maybe y'all have seen it, called End Time. Uh, it is uh, the great uh, theologian Justin Timberlake. And uh, it's a really interesting and compelling movie. Uh, everybody in this movie, uh, up until age 25, they age normally. And then at 25, it just shuts off, and the commodity is time. Uh, and they have glowing numbers on their wrists that they can look at, and it's counting down by the second how much time they have until they die. And if their clock runs out, boom, they just fall over, they're dead, they're gone. And they can trade in time, but what happens is they just, they keep considering the number of their days and it changes how they live. They reprioritize very quickly and they start with the things that are most important. You should go, um, you should go watch it. I can't remember all the details, so uh, just be reminded that I, uh, I, I encouraged it with a grain of salt. Here's, here's what I want to draw your attention to. What Moses is doing It's he's laying before us, if you want to be a wise person and to use your life wisely, maybe you have 30 years, maybe you'll have 70 years, maybe you'll have 80 years. Moses says the key to to whatever amount of time that you have, the key to using it wisely is asking God to teach us to number our days. And so God has given you one life. That's it. You get, you get one life, you get one chance to invest that life in a way that's going to make a, a temporal difference here with people and an eternal difference. And if you were to wake up every morning and part of your daily routine were to ask, God, my days are numbered, I'm not going to be here forever, they're fleeting and they're passing much quicker than I ever could have imagined, What's the wisest way for me to use my time? What's my priority for today? I want to present a few things to you. If we're taught to number our days, what would change with your daily routine? Um, What priorities would change? What things would need to be bumped up because they're more important? And what things would be okay to drift back down the list? Your daily priorities, what would be different if you asked God to teach you that your days are numbered? And so you want to live a life of wisdom. What about friendships? If you know that your days are numbered, what would change with your friendships? Uh, uh, Things that you say, things that you don't say, encouragement that you give, praying with a friend, spending time with a friend. What would change about your friendships if you believe that your days were numbered? Uh, What about hobbies? What would change with your hobbies? And just so you know, I'm, I'm pro-hobby, right? I, I think hobbies have a place, uh, but there is a way in which a hobby can very easily become a God, and at the end of our life, we can look back and think, I just, I spent way too much time, money, effort, and thought on this hobby. If you only have a limited amount of time, what would change about your hobbies? What about the use or the love of money? What would change about money? See, I think uh, when you get older and let's say you're presented with this diagnosis, all of a sudden money is just simply a tool. It's not what you're after. See, early on it can be very easy for money to be the goal, but money should never be the goal. It makes a lousy master, but it makes a very good servant. And so like, to, to teach us to number our days means that money obeys us. We don't obey money. Uh, we don't live for money. We use it as a tool. What would change in your life about the way that you mon- use money the way that you see money, the way that you value money, if you know that truly your days are numbered. Weekly habits with kids. Okay, kids, and gosh, parents in the room know this. You have kids and you blink and they're old. I measured Judah's foot yesterday. He's 11 years old and we have the same size foot so he can steal my shoes now. Uh, It just blinked and that happened. 
if you know you, the days are numbered that you have 18 years max with your kids, right? Because that's, that's our goal, 18 years, and then they need to get a job, and they need to get a house, and we want them to be, uh, be able to provide for themselves and on their own. But I also want them to live next door. <laughs> like, we're going to kick them out, uh, but want them to live next door because I love them and like being around them. But you only have a certain amount of time, and I'm telling you, parents in the room, tune into this. It's so easy to have all these intentions, but think you have all the time in the world, and then to look up, and what happens? They're 18, and they're leaving the house, and you haven't done what you're supposed to do. Priorities with kids, it's incredibly important, and it changes the way that you invest your time if you ask the Lord to teach me that my days are numbered. Because maybe that changes. Maybe every single sport isn't the highest priority. Maybe making every single game and every single practice isn't the highest priority. Maybe making sure that they're the best in choir, they're the best. Maybe when you think about things differently, you think, I want them to know and follow Jesus. I want my kids to know that church is more important than sports. Some things might change for the wiser if the Lord teaches us to number our days. What about annual habits? Maybe there are some things that you can incorporate annually or maybe even more purposeful uh, with the vacation. This verse, uh, along with a few mentors of mine years ago, uh, led me to, uh, led Hannah and I both to try to find some time each year, make this an annual rhythm where we have one-on-one time with each of our kids that we very purposefully and specifically connect with them, speak into their life on an annual scale. I only have 18 summers with my kids, and so if I if I want the Lord to teach me to number my days, then we become more purposeful with the time that we have. So think about annual habits. In light of us having short time, time being valuable, God's story being big, what needs to change with your annual habits? What about marriage? What about marriage, spouse, your husband, your wife? If we ask the Lord to teach us to number our days, what might change about the way that we speak to them about enjoying the the small time that we have together? What might change to cause your marriage to be lived out purposefully, not accidentally wasted because we've asked the Lord to teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom? What about church? What about your involvement in, your love for the church? might change if we realize that our days are numbered, and this is the way that God has chosen to uh, dispel the gospel to the world. The church is the vehicle that Jesus has chosen to use. What might change if we ask the Lord to teach us to number our days? Whether you have one more month or 50 more years, I believe this, God has given you one life, one chance to invest that life, and you will blink and as Moses said, it will have been more, it will have gone more quickly than you could imagine. So teach us, he says, to live as if our days are numbered so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. Let's pray that the, the Holy Spirit would truly teach us this because this is not something that we, none of us knew We all know this. We know that life goes faster than we think. We know that uh, we have one life to live. But Moses is saying, Lord, teach us this because God needs to help us not just know it cognitively, but change our lives in light of it. So let's pray towards that end together. Jesus, we, we love you. And I invite you right now, I invite you to send your Holy Spirit to teach us. 
uh, to get in the midst of our hearts and our minds and to stir up and to truly convince us that we have such a short life will blink and it will be over. So God, I pray that you'll stir up in us a desire to use what little life we have to invest in the story of Jesus. God, to make much of you because whenever our life is leveraged for the story of Christ, it is an eternal story. It's an eternal investment that will have dividends throughout all of eternity. God, I pray that you'd help us to see our time as the most valuable resource we have so that we're very careful where we spend it. God, help us to set godly priorities. God, I pray that our priority is connecting our soul with you, our Father, is important every morning. God, put our, our kids and our families and our friendships, our marriages in right priorities, even vacation and naps and time off and hobbies. God, put those in a godly place. So, Father, we just uh, invite you to teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.